called it Unbreakable Joy, and it's, it's a series looking at the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. And Dolan last week gave us an introduction to Philippians, um, and he gave us some background as to who Paul was, what his life looked like before and after he encountered Jesus, and what the book of Philippians is and why he wrote it. And it really is a very interesting and insightful message. And so I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go and download it from the website or listen to it from the website um, just to help you get more understanding and appreciation for Philippians. Um, I'm going to do a quick recap, though, in case you weren't here last week, um, but still take a listen to last week's message. So Paul was born Saul. He was a Jewish Pharisee who persecuted the church and Christ followers. He tortured them. He executed them. And one day while he was traveling on his horse, Jesus from heaven struck him down. He blinded him and he confronted him. And we can read this in the book of Acts in chapter 9. And Saul repented. He accepted Jesus as the Messiah and his Lord and Savior. And then his name changed to Paul. So Paul went from being a leader in the Jewish community with a purpose to destroy the lives of Christ followers to spending the rest of his life with a new mission to tell as many people as he could about Jesus. He preached so powerfully that the Bible tells us people plotted his murder, the people who did not like his message. He continued to preach and to teach, and many people made a decision to follow Jesus after they heard his message. And a few years after Paul's conversion, we read in Acts chapter 13 how during a worship and prayer meeting, the church leaders heard from God that Paul should be dedicated for a special work and sent out for a special work. And so after the leaders prayed for him, that is when his missionary work began. So Paul was sent to preach the message of Jesus. In Acts chapter 15, we also read that he went back to the churches which he had previously preached to, to check on how the Christians were doing and to encourage them. Now, in today's world, it's so easy to make contact with people. And I remember when I was a little girl, probably about seven or eight years old, my dad sent me a telegram. Anybody been sent a telegram before? (laughs) He did this so that I would experience what it felt like to receive a telegram. And I remember feeling so special because I knew he had paid for every letter. You know, and it read something like, Dear Sarah, stop. I love you, stop. I'm proud of you, stop. You know, that was the sort of feel of the telegram. And I remember when Dolan and I were dating, he was in matric in the hostel, um, and I would phone the ticky box, you know, and then I'd wait, and, and some random boy would, would answer, and then he would go and call Dolan, and I'd have to wait for Dolan to, to come. And by the time Dolan arrived at the ticky box, the whole hostel knew that I was phoning him. <laughs> and then I remember when, when I, I got my first um, email account, and that was so exciting, you know, to get to the, the computer lab at Varsity, because I was I am a bit older than Dolan. Um, and so at Varsity, I'd get to the computer lab to check my email, to see, has he read his email, you know, and replied, and, and, you know, and if he couldn't get to the computer room at school. Anyway, it was all very exciting when we could email each other. 
I remember I had my phone <laughs> and um, my phone had buttons with letters on it and I didn't know what the letters were for. <laughs> and so <laughs> eventually I got a phone where you could SMS and I figured out what the buttons were for. And so communication was made easier by SMSing. Now it's WhatsApp, Skyping, FaceTiming, Facebooking. If I wanted to check on how somebody is doing, it is very, very easy. But with the early church, you know, they didn't have telegrams or ticky boxes or mobile phones or email or Facebook. In fact, even letter writing was very rare. It was a very expensive task, and usually letters were a maximum of 20 words, kind of like the old SMSs. So it was a very a rare thing for people to receive letters. But the only way for Paul to get encouragement out to the churches and to deal with issues was through letters. And so historically, his letters were, were quite a lot longer than the typical letter. And he needed to give instruction, correction, rebuking, teaching, and encouragement to the churches. And so these letters are now what we know as some of the books of the Bible. And the book of Philippians is quite a different letter to the other letters. As Paul, he's not necessarily addressing issues to the church but rather it's a deep, personal, affectionate letter. And we heard last week why the tone of it is so different, how it was the church, the first church that Paul planted, um, and it was also the first church in the European continent. The church also supported him financially. They were so grateful for him bringing the message of Jesus to them that without Paul asking, they chose to give him money. And not just a once-off. It wasn't like an honorarium, thanks for coming, our lives are changed. They actually made a decision to support him and his work financially, which was a huge blessing to Paul. Not only that, but they also wanted to support his physical needs. So they sent a man from their church to go and help him when he was under house arrest. And the man's name was Epaphroditus. And so he was there. To, he went over to um, Paul to help him with his day-to-day -day needs. So this book of Philippians, there's only four chapters. It should be read as one letter. Um, and I encourage you actually next week, you know, Monday to Thursday, take a chapter a day. Read the book of Philippians. And we're going to continue with this series. Pastor Donovan will be here next week. But the few weeks after that, we will continue with it. And, you know, I encourage you to, to continue to read it every week. Read a chapter. I have read this chapter, the, the, this particular chapter that I'm going to talk on this morning. I've read it so many times. And there's only 30 verses. And every time I read it, something else speaks to me. And I, I don't have all morning to share with you all the things that God has said to me. So I'm only going to choose a few things. So as we look at, at this um, book of Philippians, we're going to read chapter 1 and look at chapter 1. And as I read it, the word that came to mind was perspective. And so, Vili, if you can um, start it for me. There we go. That is not a Photoshop photo. <laughs> I'm sure from Kate's view, that uh, was rather scary. Dolan's thrown her up in the air, not very high, but just because of the angle of the, the photo, it looks... <laughs> you don't know whether she's been dropped from the sky <laughs> or, or thrown up in the air. <laughs> There's some more <laughs> perspective photos. Yeah, those giant baboons don't exist. Okay, so let's um, 
We're going to read the, this book, and um, just before we go into it, you know, I, I've chosen the New Living Translation, but it is actually very helpful to read other versions as well. The Message Bible puts this letter and this book so beautifully. Um, you feel like you, you really are reading a, a letter um, rather than a broken down chapter-by-chapter um, chapter book. If you don't have those translations at home, you can download the Bible app, and then you can read them there. Okay, so we're going to have, uh, okay, let's read it quickly. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests known, uh, sorry, requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Just looking at those verses, I wanted us to think about Paul's perspective on the church. You can really feel the warmth and the affection in his opening greeting to this church in Philippi. He's so open and honest about how he prayed for them. You know, sometimes I think of somebody, and, and I always, when, I, when a name comes to mind, then I think, oh, I wonder if they're going through something difficult, or, or maybe they're, they're facing trouble. And, and so I pray for them out of concern. And yet Paul here speaks of a deeper level of prayer, praying and seeking God out of joy and thanksgiving. I also found it amazing that he considers all believers his partners in preaching and spreading the gospel. The whole community of the church had this passion for spreading the message of Jesus. And so Paul, he addresses the whole church, and then he mentions the leaders of the church in verse 1, right at the top, including the elders and the deacons. So he sees each person as having a purpose and a role to play. In verse 6, I found that verse very encouraging as well. Paul makes a very important point that applies to us too. You know, once we have had an encounter with God and we've made a decision to follow him, his work in us and through us, it doesn't finish there. We are not a complete product. Our relationship with Jesus grows and matures us and equips us to be able to tell others about him. And until Jesus returns, he will keep working in us and through us. Paul was very passionate about spreading the message of Jesus. Now, not all of us are preachers and evangelists. And I'm sure that not everybody in that church were preachers and evangelists. And yet they had this passion to spread the message of Jesus. We are all commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. So the Great Commission applies to all of us. And we all know people in our lives, who need Jesus. Perhaps your perspective has always been 
that this actually is just for a few in the church, you know. Maybe it's just for Dolan or Ingrid or the worship team or the connect group leaders. But maybe God wants to give you a fresh perspective on what your purpose is. And as a starting point, spreading the message of Jesus to those in your life begins with prayer. And even there, Paul, he talks about praying for the people who already know Jesus. You may need to start praying for someone. Pray for them to start asking questions. Pray for them to be open to hearing your story. Pray for them to be open to be invited to church. And then when they do ask questions, because <laughs> usually when you pray for that, it does happen, answer them. If the opportunity is there to tell them something that's happened in your life, do it. Invite them to church. And as you step out, God will give you the courage to do that. And he will help you with the words to say. The next section of Philippians. Okay. Reads like this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And as I read this, I was thinking of Paul's perspective on the Christian. You know, most of us here this morning have had a time in our lives when we found ourselves realizing that we can't keep on living without knowing Jesus. We've realized that all our self-centered decisions, our mistakes, our brokenness needs the healing, forgiveness, and the love of the Lord. And it is a humbling place to be. I remember the clearly the evening when I got to that place and I knew that I needed God's strength, his peace, his acceptance. And I'm so grateful that God's love and grace are so much greater than me, that there's nothing I could do to deserve him in my life. And Paul desires that the church who already have a passion to tell others about Jesus will love people with an overflowing love I pray that your love will overflow more and more. He wants them to love others like Jesus loves them. He desires them, he desires for them to be mature, to have spiritual wisdom, and he desires for them to have the character of Christ. Okay, in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12, he writes, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. Again, he speaks of overflowing love, not just for believers, but for all people. Now, this can only be a Jesus thing. It is a challenge to love all people. I think that we are only really challenged with this when we are faced with an obviously unlovable person to us. And perhaps you could ask yourself, well, you probably are thinking of somebody <laughs> right now, but what makes someone unlovable to me? And there are various reasons. It could be somebody is socially unacceptable. Maybe they have a dodgy profession. Somebody who's awkward to be around. 
person who sits at the bry and always moans about life. Maybe somebody who doesn't have the same hygiene habits as you. Possibly you could have a preconceived idea of someone based on how you've grown up or how your family have generalized people. You know, in South Africa, we do talk about racism and sexism and xenophobia, but it's kind of like this, oh, it's a problem out there. And, you know, <laughs> this is quite an interesting thing. And this, this really, I, I think God has taken me on a, on a huge and is still taking me on a, on a journey with. Because it is only really when you're faced with somebody that you're uncomfortable with that you realize what is in your heart. You know, you could have been hurt by a certain type of person. You could have different morals to somebody or different beliefs or different opinions. God knows what's in our hearts even better than we know. So how can we love all people? And I think it is one person at a time. I believe that to love people the way Jesus loves them, we need an awakening to be able to see someone the way God sees them. You know, he loved me enough to die on the cross for me, and he also loved them enough to die on the cross for them. And so every time we see somebody that makes us uncomfortable or we struggle with, rather than ignoring it, God wants us to bring that struggle to him. He wants to help us with this overflowing love. And I really appreciate that the Bible doesn't say love all people and leave it there. This love also requires spiritual wisdom. Colossians 1 verse 9 also says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, okay, I th- sorry, I was thinking of my... I'm just going to see something. Okay. Can you take it back, Vili, to just to that Paul's perspective on the Christian for me? Just on the, the love verses. You know, there's a difference between loving someone and praying for them and then being abused and taken advantage of. And Dolan and I will probably share at some point <laughs> what, um, what we've just gone through with, with our tenant in Cape Town. Um, but pretty much... She's been in, in our place for two years, but for the last five months, she hasn't been able to make rent. And, you know, we've been praying about it, praying for her. We've been showing her love and grace. Um, and we've really been praying about it because, you know, we need wisdom with helping her. Um, I don't know if she knows Jesus, um, but she knows we do. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we wanted to be wise with how we showed her love. And she agreed that she would leave um, and so that we wouldn't have to evict her. Um, and we came up with a whole agreement and everything. And so Tuesday, it was Tuesday the, the day was that when she was supposed to leave. And then on Saturday night, she messaged us and said, you know, she has nowhere to go now and she's too sick to pack up the house and she actually can't move. Um, and we have already got new tenants that were coming on the Wednesday. So we'd already signed a contract with new tenants. And, um, and she ended off by saying, you know, as Christians, we need to, <laughs> to understand her plight. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> like, oh, let this be righteous anger within me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, 
we, we actually, our, our prayer then just said, Jesus, just get her out. You know, we actually need her to, to move out. And, you know, Dolan preached about this a, a few uh, weeks ago. Love, part of love is also setting boundaries and saying no. And he mentioned how, you know, if a child wants chocolate cake and you, you know, you want to treat them and you give them a piece of chocolate cake, then they want more chocolate cake and more chocolate cake. And you know, okay, supper's in an hour and you keep giving them chocolate cake. Well, they're going to get sick. They're not going to eat supper. They're not going to sleep well that night. And so saying no and setting boundaries is also love. And we're very grateful. It was a huge testimony. But she did move out, and we have new amazing tenants. Um, and now we, we trust in God for financial breakthrough, <laughs> that she will pay us what she owes us. Anyway, you know, this, this godly love is also expressed through the fruits of the Spirit, which is the very character of Christ. And, and that is where Paul says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character. In Galatians 5, we read about them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, this the fruit of your salvation is, is such a beautiful picture and so appropriate because when you think of a plant, it takes time for a plant to root itself. It takes time. It needs to have the resources, the water and the nutrients. Then it needs to grow. Then it needs to bear flowers. Then it will bear fruit. And as we stay rooted in Jesus, so through time and staying rooted, his character is developed in us. It is not natural (laughs) to have these characteristics. In our human nature, there is no way we would be able to see people the way God sees them and love people the way he loves them. So we could only... We would only see them through our hurts, our phobias, and our opinions. So as we stay rooted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in us, and we too develop his character. And maybe as a believer, you need a new perspective on what this means to love people the way Jesus wants us to love them. You know, perhaps you need to repent for the way that you may have marginalized someone or excluded someone. Perhaps you need to let go of your pride and your hurts and allow God to develop his character in you. Or maybe you need wisdom, like we did, with how to deal with a situation with spiritual maturity and in God's love. Only three verses, and yet so much we can gain from them. Okay. Oh, will you go back, (laughs) Vili? I'm waking Vili up every time. Sorry. Can you go to the next slide for me so I don't have to keep clicking? The next section of the, thank you, of the chapter. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. 
Paul's perspective on circumstances, wow, where he finds himself, I think this is amazing. When I go through a tough time, I I tick off boxes. (laughs) I think, is this an attack from the devil? Is this God testing me? Is this God trying to develop something in me? Or is this just life? Paul knew that no matter what his situation was, God was using him to spread the message of Jesus. With this powerful and spiritually mature perspective, Paul was able to live through every situation with joy. I don't know if I've ever asked myself the question, Who can I tell about Jesus using the situation that I find myself in? From verse 15, he talks about other people's motives and how they view him. And his perspective on this is also so inspiring. Rather than being defensive and, you know, and saying, well, I've been sent out and and, um, the way you're behaving is terrible because God has called me to do this, or being accusing and saying, you know, your motives are wrong and you're just jealous. He actually puts himself completely aside. That last little section of verses, those people that he's speaking of probably had been preaching the message of Jesus a lot longer than Paul, and yet he was very popular. And so that is probably where this jealousy came from. Paul is able to see that God is greater and that if Jesus is being preached, then he is filled with joy. I'm sure that what these other preachers were doing or their motives didn't make him happy, yet he was able to rejoice because he knew Jesus was being preached. And maybe you need a shift in the way you see the situation that you find yourself in. Maybe you need to trust that God is working in you and through you and that he is wanting to get the message of Jesus out there. For I know that as I pray, as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Sure, Paul's perspective on death is also very interesting. Every now and again, Sasha has a death moment. I call it that. (laughs) And I'm sure most kids do. She asks, what will happen if you die, mommy? What will happen if daddy dies? What will happen if you both die? What will happen if Foxy dies, our little dog, or Lucy dies, our other dog? Or what happens if we all die and Foxy and Lucy are left behind? And I'm not sure what she's more scared of. The fact that she doesn't know what it's going to be like when she dies or being separated from the people that she loves. But there are people who have a fear of dying. And you know, as a Christ follower, we know where we will go after death. We know that we will spend eternity with Jesus. We have a certainty that we are saved. John 3 verse 16, Jesus promises us that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. There are also many people who have a fear of living. They don't see a way out of their circumstances 
or their hopelessness. They actually wish for death to escape life. Now, Paul's perspective on life and death are profound. Life on earth can be very tough. And if anyone knew this, it was Paul. He had been through enough discomfort and pain, unfair treatment and hardship. His perspective of death could have been to escape, to be with Jesus rather than struggling and suffering through life. And yet he views his sufferings as a privilege and his life as an opportunity to keep telling others about Jesus. And so his not knowing which is better to go and be with Jesus or to stay here on earth is a very different take to how, normally, how people normally view death. David Pawson says there is a difference between being willing to go to be with the Lord but eager to stay and eager to be with the Lord but willing to stay. So difference between willing to go to be with the Lord but eager to stay and eager to be with the Lord but willing to stay. Paul wasn't eager to go because of his unhappiness. He was eager to go as he knew what was waiting for him on the other side. But he was willing to stay to continue the work Jesus had for him to do. And there may be somebody here this morning who needs to change the way that you see life and death. Maybe you need to know the hope and the joy that there is in the promise of eternal life. Maybe you need to understand that God has a purpose for you here on earth. This chapter ends off, but as I said, it's not the end of the letter. So we'll look very quickly because we've run out of time. And I'm clicking. There we go. Uh, Yes. I know it says number two, but he goes back to being a Christian. And so the last few verses read, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. With eternity in mind, Paul now turns back to how to live this life as a believer again. He encourages the church to have the perspective of being a citizen of heaven. So we're here on earth, but we actually belong in heaven. And so we need to make sure that we make decisions here on earth that honor God in our personal lives, as well as a church. Paul speaks about unity, standing up for the good news, facing opposition, and understanding our purpose as individuals and as a church. I really, as I said in the beginning, I do encourage you to go home tomorrow, read this chapter. Next day, read the next chapter. Think about these things. There's a lot in this chapter. But you know, God really, he wants us to hold on to one thing that we find challenging or encouraging or inspiring. One thing, because there is so much. And as you read it over and over, another one thing pops up, which is amazing. And so let's take a moment to ask ourselves, what is God saying to me through these few verses that we've taken a more in-depth look at?
Let's stand.